Well, uh, today is a, a weird and wild story. This is all there is to it, so we're going to have to pray because it's just too weird a story not to pray about before you talk about it. So, Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for Church at the Red Door. We thank you for live stream. We thank you for all those who are checking in with us today. Lord, they're, not, they're checking in with you. They want to hear from you. Father, we need your guidance. We need your word. I was talking to a dear friend of mine out front this morning, Lord, and it was just, you cannot give out what you do not possess. Lord, we cannot give out what we don't possess. So we have to know your word. If we want to have an impact on the world, we have to know your word. To know your word, we have not only to hear it, but we have to understand it, and that requires the Holy Spirit. So we are, at this moment, inviting the Holy Spirit to come and enliven and quicken this thing, make this relevant to us where we can understand it and apply it. Lord, this is important because it's your kingdom and it's the advancement of the only cause that ultimately is going to matter, which is Jesus being glorified on the earth and our entrance into his family. So for that, we need your power in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I, this, is a, this is a good morning. This is going to be a good morning, not only because it's kind of cool and it doesn't feel like May. It was hotter in April, wasn't it? I mean, it was hotter in April. This has been nice, this last little reprieve. And I opened, uh, I opened my little uh, door to my office this morning, uh, my little screen, and this cool weather. I was trying to stretch out a little bit this morning because, you know, i got to get in shape for you guys. And so uh, kind of trying to stretch out in there on the, on the floor of my office and that cool wind coming in, and I'm thinking, man, this does not feel at all like the middle of May. And some of the live streamers, they already went back, and I saw some of the uh, forecasts that were going where you are, Well, But anyway, <laughs> so no, 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 we love you, we do, we love you, but all these snowbirds, so I always tell people, April freaks people out, and they take off, and then May comes around, and it's going to look hot, and then we have a reprieve like, the, like it is now, so... Uh, anyway, this is all good. So uh, we're going to continue this look into the life of David, and it, it's been weird, but it gets weirder. The, this morning, I was just trying to think, how do you describe this morning? It's just weird. This is a weird story, but it has so much, uh, it's profound. I mean, it really is, and we're going to dive into it. So where we left uh, a couple of weeks ago, or last week, we looked at 2 Samuel chapter 4, let me just, I'm going to kind of give you just a quick synopsis of 2 Samuel chapter 5. As we've seen, David has now gone from the wilderness, and he's now about to take his place as king in Hebron. He's not yet over all of, all of Israel. And in 2 Samuel chapter 5, Ishbosheth moves into a place of being a king, and he has his military guy, Abner, and David has his guy, Joab. And yet David knows he's going to have to unite the entire country because he knows he's been anointed to be king over, over everybody. <clears throat> well, there was a civil war uh, as began to happen, and it was brutal. It was a brutal civil war. In fact, they tried to set 12 guys against 12 guys, and they end up running a spear through each other simultaneously, and then they all died, and it was just one thing after another. It was a horrible civil war that was happening, and ultimately Joab... Uh, at the great, with the great angst of David, killed Abner. And so David is going to uh, eventually find justice for his opponent. Now, this is a fascinating insight into David. He's such a great leader, even though he's had a guy that's been loyal to him. His loyal guy moved in a bad way against a guy that was set against him. It was unlawful. It was unreasonable. It was unjust. And David stood up for his enemy. I mean, it's just, a, it's a picture of what David is like. It's an, he's an amazing leader. And so, well, same thing, something similar happens. Now, you got these two really weird guys, Baana and, and, and Rechab, and they come and they say, well, and now if we can kill Ishbosheth, that'll be great because then David will love us for this. And so these two guys go in and kill him middle of the day when he's taking a nap. And then they go back and find David. And they say, hey, David, look what we've done. We've killed your enemy, as if Ishbosheth was David's enemy. Now, in the physical realm, this is important to understand, in the physical realm, Ishbosheth seemed like an enemy. There was civil war. But in a larger picture, see, if you want to be a great leader, you always have to pull out, pan back, and get the big picture. Because you'll get trapped in the daily little 
directives and, and emotions and all the things that occur. But David was looking at a grand picture. He knew that there would be a unified Israel one day. These guys came to him and said, look what we've done. We've killed Ishbosheth." He said, don't you even remember what the guy did that came and told me about Saul and what happened to him? And he had them both killed right there. He was setting an absolute, he was making a stand and say, my enemies, though they may look like my enemies, ultimately we're all the people of God. Now at this time, you got to realize Israel is, they, they are the people of God. Do you understand that now? Now the church is the people of God, whether they be Jew or Gentile. Now it's the, the called out people. But at this point, this was a representative picture for us of God's people. And David knew the significance uh, and the need for unity. Let me tell you something. Unity is still a vital need in the Coachella Valley and in the church at large. We have to be unified with other people that are glorifying Jesus, even if we can't see eye to eye on everything. Are you with me? We're never going to be set against other churches in this valley, unless, I will tell you, unless they're absolutely not preaching Jesus dead, buried, and resurrected. If they're doing that, then I'm sorry. I've got to stand against that because that's just, that's just not the gospel. But if they're lifting up Jesus, even though we can't see eye to eye, it's important. Now, how, what's the functional reality? What's that unity look like? Is it perfect unity? It may not be perfect unity, but you're, you're not, if you come to me and say, hey, and, and I don't think anybody here would, by the way, but we're never going to take delight in the, in the failings of another church. We're never going to take delight or, or, heaven forbid, even be part of the downfall of another church. And you see it in the body of Christ all the time. And the world steps back and says, see, that's why I don't believe. Look at all the hypocrisy. Look, I know that there can't be perfect unity in the church. I do understand that. And I think there are probably some probably pretty good reasons for that. But I will tell you it's important that we have David's attitude here. Can you see that? That is an important thing. Even though in the physical realm at that moment it looked like they were enemies and yet David would not stand for it. And he took his own people to task when they tried to step in. So here's David in all of his glory. It's unbelievable. And then he courageously enters what now we understand is Jerusalem and dispossesses the Jebusites. That was awesome too. David, you are an incredible leader. You're a man after God's own heart. It's unbelievable, David. You are, you're a fascinating character. We just love you. We, just, we really support you. And then, and then we read this, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 19. I mean, it was getting good. He was at the top of his game. Everything was going really well now. He had made some really courageous decisions. He was courageous on the battlefield. He was doing all the right things. He was at a very high, 2, Corinthians, uh, 2 Samuel, I mean, chapter 5, verse 9. So David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. <clears throat> and David built all around from the Milo and inward, David became greater and greater, for the Lord God of hosts was with him. Now, stop for a second. Would you like that to be said about you? I mean, I, <clears throat> you've probably heard me say this before, but Acts stops at Acts chapter 28. But at a certain point, we got to believe that the book of the Acts of the Apostles are still being written. Okay, so there are heavenly chronicles. What's being written about your life? Could it be said now that, and, and God was with you? Could you feel your name in there? I mean, it was just so evident. And the Lord of hosts was with Jeffrey. I hope that, that I hope that's said. I hope that's being written now. I hope that's being written. And I, ho and I hope that you hope that your name is in there as well. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David with cedar trees and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built a house for David. David realized that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. Now, it's always, see, that's what David understood. It wasn't just about David being blessed. It was about David being blessed so that the, the advancement of the kingdom, and in this, in this case, it was Israel, God was thinking about his kingdom, and David understood that. He knew there were personal blessings, but he knew those blessings were with a purpose. Do you, do you ever look back and look at your life and go, well, man, why did I draw this hand? Now, some of you may be thinking, why did I draw a hand that was so bad? But a lot of people here in the Coachella Valley, I mean, the time that we've been born, maybe even the color of our skin, you say, we have different advantages than some. 
the opportunity that you had, we, maybe you were the child of a World War II baby, uh, uh, you were a World War II baby, and you had all the advantages, and you got to, you got to be born into this kind of uptick in the economic cycle, and, uh, you know, Reagan came in, and boy, the economy was just exploding, and then it even exploded under Clinton and all this, and you had this run-up with this unbelievable generation they call the baby boomers, 1946 to 1964. <clears throat> I'm the very last year of the of the baby boomers. I was born in 1964. And so I, we, we just had so many advantages for what? Well, just so we're so blessed so we can go out and do whatever we want. Or do you have an understanding? Do you have a deep understanding as David had that, well, wait a minute, maybe this is for a purpose greater than just my own personal satisfaction while living on this earth. Maybe there's a greater call in my life. Have you ever thought of that? Or you just think, I think a lot of times we don't even thank God in a deep and passionate way. We're not as thankful of people as we, we feel entitled. It's easy to feel entitled. Would you agree with that? We live in a culture now that probably is more entitled than any other culture that's ever lived on the face of the planet. I would think. With the economic booms that have been happening in America, with companies like Apple and Microsoft and Google and Amazon, for heaven's sakes, with all these companies and this high-tech stuff and the shift away from kind of coal and steel and things like that, which were amazing, but they were regional. And now this, this thing, you can hold an iPhone and it can go global. It's unbelievable the power that America has wielded over these last, over these last several decades. Unbelievable amount of economic power. For what purpose? Are we utilizing that well or are we just becoming... And entitled people. Do we have an understanding that God exalted us, possibly, for what purpose? For the sake of his people, Israel? Well, in this case, for the sake of his church and the advancement of his church and to see people come into the church over the next coming years? Would that be part of the way you think about why you've been so blessed? Have you ever, have you ever maybe thought about that, or do you just feel like, well, I've earned it. I deserve it. Do you think there have been people in other cultures that have worked harder for you for infinitely less? I mean, think about it. What if you were born 400 years ago and born in a, in a third world country in the middle of nowhere? You could have worked as hard as you could have every day, long, long hours, and never even been able to save, not a penny, just living hand to mouth. And yet we, again, feel so entitled. Do you recognize that we live in a unique time and a unique place, and God is very much about this one thing, advancing his kingdom? Do you think about those kinds of things? I do. I think about that a lot. Because then Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, to whom much is given, much is required. I didn't get down on this. I get excited about this. I don't just feel guilty about this. I feel an explosive excitement in me knowing that I have been given more than many people across the eons of time with on all kinds of cultures. And I live in the 21st century and I have all these things at my disposal. Think of the things that we can do for God. And I think that was David's attitude. I think it was. And yet he was such a mixed bag. Because the very next verse, meanwhile, back at the farm, meanwhile, David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David, which were, as we saw last week, sowing the seeds of destruction. That's exactly what was happening. He didn't realize that right in the midst of the, one of the most glorious times, he was, as we saw last week, setting himself up for some calamity in his own life. Let me tell you something. Sin, you will always pay a price for sin. Always. Always. You will pay a price. You say, well, I can still be saved. Well, is, it, is, it all, is, that, is that how we think? Because people asking the question, I said, those are the wrong questions to ask. Can I keep my salvation and live like hell? I mean, people, at the core of this idea of am I saved always, am I once saved always, you need to have the confidence that, yes, absolutely, that you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, as we saw last week. But you also need to have the, the motivation to say, I want to steward my life. I want to make Jesus famous. I never want to become a stumbling stone. I, Lord, I want to glorify you in my body. And, and sin just doesn't fit into that. Plus, I don't want to pay I don't want to pay the piper on this. I really don't. I mean, sin always has a profound cost, not only to you, but to the people that you may very much care about. 
Sin has its consequences. So now we get to the, this is now we, David, up, great, and then these nauseating, it's like a roller coaster, David's life, and then down, and yet the last chapter of chapter 5, the last part of chapter 5 of 2 Samuel is amazing. He shows his integrity, he shows his passion, he shows his wisdom again. How can one man be so mixed? And yet I look at my own life and my own journey, probably the same things could be said about me. How can it be a man be so mixed in his motivations? I mean, want to serve God, want to serve God, want to serve God, and still hold on to these attitudes that I have. But I'm not content to stick with those attitudes. I mean, it's a daily, and, and that's where we, as we've talked about, that's where community and, and vision and all those things become such a, so of paramount importance, okay? Now, let's look at this verse 17, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 17. This is an amazing, amazing insight, an amazing insight. When the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, now remember, Ishbosheth is dead. They've united the kingdoms now. Uh, Abner's been killed, which Abner had already decided to, you know, support David anyway. So now we've got a unified kingdom, all right? This is, this is the equivalent to you saying everything's in line now. I got a little money in the bank. My health's good, at least for the moment, you know, we're, we have a pretty nice place that we're living. We've got a few friends. We've got a nice church that we're going to. Uh, weird pastor, but got a nice church we're going to. We got all these. Everything's really kind of, everything, you got to check, check, eh, borderline, check, 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 check. And then, and he's at his height, and then he's making these horrible blunders. And yet, then he comes back right here and you give a, an insight into his character, which is beautiful. So that they had heard he was anointed uh, king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to seek out David. And when David heard of it, he went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines came and spread themselves out in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord. And have we read that yet about David? Here we go again. And David did what? Are you doing this? Is there any practical application you can give of the last two or three weeks where he said, and you know what, I should probably inquire of the Lord on this. I've always just jumped right into it, never really thought about it, and, I, and you know what? I think I'm going to apply this sermon a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to inquire of the Lord, and I've got to be honest with you. I'm up here preaching this stuff, and, I, and all of a sudden, I get, and I get there, and I go, well, here's the decision. I go, wait a minute. I need to stop and inquire of the Lord. David was awesome at this. It was phenomenal. Here he is. I mean, he's like, hey, we've got the military might. Let's just go. But what did he do? No, it says he inquired of the Lord. He says, shall I go up against the Philistines? First of all, shall I even enter this battle? Are you with me? There's some battles you shouldn't even enter. You said, well, obviously this is an issue in my life. Wait a minute. Is this even an issue in my life? Should I even go up? What should we do here? He says, will you give them into my hand? Will you give me success if I do go up? And the Lord said to David, go up, and I'll certainly give the Philistines into your hand. So he went up to Baal Perazim and defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like the breakthrough of waters. Therefore, he named the place Baal Perazim. They abandoned their idols there, so David and his men carried them away. Okay, great. Fantastic. He inquired of the Lord. Now, here's the weird part of this story. Are you ready for this? Now, the Philistines came up once again and spread themselves out. In the same valley, Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord. Now, let me ask you a question. If This is just practical stuff. This is day-to-day operational stuff. You've been down this road. This worked last time. So what are you going to do? You're, without even thinking about it, you're going to do the what? You're going to do the same thing. Well, I've dealt with that. Or I, I'm going to go ask somebody. You know, part of my counseling, uh, I don't do as much counseling, but I, I do a lot of counseling still. And, uh, and I'll sit down, especially, you know, I usually don't counsel women so much, but I counsel men, and I'll, I'll sit down with a man, and I'll say, look, have you, have you inquired of the Lord, and what's he saying? Because they're, they're, now, if it's something so obvious that I can give them a biblical template, and I can say, well, here, you know, verse 6 of chat, you know, 2 Corinthians 3 says, says this, and this will really apply to this situation. And then, okay, that's something, but that's usually very early on in somebody's walk. They kind of don't even know what the Bible says about that. 
You know, I, I'm not, I, I, I wasn't aware, and that's okay. That kind of counseling is good because there's this biblical training wheels that go on, and then, you, you know, kind of the bike was wobbly, and now it starts to straighten up, and eventually you're going to be able to pedal. But then once you get it, you start pedaling yourself, and you don't realize and you don't take the, you don't take the time to inquire the Lord. Shall I live here? Shall I not live here? Shall I go back now? Shall I stay? Shall I move here full time? Shall I not? Shall I join that club? Shall I not? Should I take that job? Shall I not? Shall I marry this person or should I not? I mean, everything becomes an inquiry when we're thinking like David thought. Well, the same thing happened and what happened? And verse 23, and David inquired of the Lord again. It was the same thing. They were just in this valley. It was the same people, it was the same valley, it was the same thing. So what do you do? You just do the same thing you did last time because it, it worked. You know, one of the things in even planting this church, you know, you can get, read, we read all the books. I mean, a lot of our folks on our executive team, we read all the books, how to plant a church, how to get started, what to do, all these kinds of things. And some of the things, you, okay, we want to pattern ourselves by things that work. But all along the way, it always seemed like, well, wait a minute. What's the Lord saying for us to do? What are we supposed to be doing? How will we inquire? And we have become dramatically different looking than all the books already. Now, do we get it right all the time? No, but we are constantly inquiring of the Lord. And it is radically important. Because here's what happens. When he inquired... The Lord said what? You shall not go directly up. It's going to be different this time. Now, why do you think God has things be different that looks the same from our perspective? They look exactly the same. Well, I've done that a thousand times. Why not a thousand one? I want you to do something indirect. Why? Because it forces us to go into the presence of God. And if this is, as we say, all about a relationship with your Creator... How you can have a relationship if you always... So if I, if I have Laura, and I, every time I say, I just go, how should I treat her? Just go to the manual. Go to the manual. Go to the manual. Go to the manual. Well, wait a minute. I should find out, maybe have a conversation with her. That would probably what? Grow our relationship a little bit. Like, let's have some communication here. The Lord wants you to communicate with Him. He wants to speak to you. That's the very purpose for which you were created. You weren't created to just follow a bunch of rules and regulations. That is not why you were created. If that's the only purpose for which you were created, I would say, yeah, God's a big spoil sport. That's what he is. He just created us down here and just wind us up and let us go and follow these directions that I gave you, and I'll be up here doing something a lot more fun than having a relationship with you. What if God had that attitude? But he doesn't. He wants to know you personally, and David was the, one of the best at it. That's why he wrote so many of the Psalms. He was, there was so, so much intimacy. He was there on the, on the mountainside with the, with the sheep, stinky old sheep. And yet, and the youngest and the smallest and, and all, and there was so many people so much greater than him, so much more well-positioned than he was. And yet... What a passionate relationship we had with the Creator. See, he had learned this on the mountain. I'm convinced he learned this out with the sheep. I talked to God when I was out. There was nobody else to talk to. Now I've got all kinds of people that want to talk to me all day, I'm sure he was saying. I'm the king of one of the most powerful places. The nation is growing. I've got, got everything at my disposal, and yet he was still inquiring of the Lord. Some of you young folks, do you... Do you inquire the Lord? Are you inquiring the Lord every day about what God wants you to do with your life? Who God may want you to marry or not? Who God... Uh, do you do that? Or some of you retirees. Well, I've just always had, you know, every, what happens when you retire is you just save all, as much money as you can and then you just have as good a time as you can. Because that's just the way you do it. Have you inquired of the Lord? What the Lord wants you to do in these years? I mean, I read the Bible and it says, even in old age, you'll be very fruitful. I think some of the most phenomenal things can happen in your latter years. You say, my body's breaking down maybe a little bit, but I'm telling you, I'm having more impact in the kingdom of God than I ever did ever in my whole life. I actually have a little experience. I've got a little, I know the word. Do you inquire of the Lord? Well, David did. You shall not go directly up, circle around behind them, 
and come at them in the front of the balsam trees. It shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, you shall act promptly. That's huge. When you inquire of the Lord and he speaks, act promptly. Don't play around with it. Don't inquire of the Lord and then he speaks to you and then don't act on it. Act promptly. For the Lord will, uh, the Lord will have gone out before you to strike the army of the Philistines. And David did so just as the Lord had commanded, and struck down the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. Right? By the way, that's where a lot of old people were, is Gezer. It's just a bunch of old Gezers. So, uh, <laughs> no, that's, that's my own interpretation. Here. But are you with me? Isn't that a beautiful story? Right, we had this exact battle. We know exactly what to do because we did it before. Wait a minute. Maybe we should inquire of the Lord. Lord, what do you say? Don't. Do not do that again. Go all the way around. Sneak up behind them. We used to call this the Heinschmidt sneak play when I was a kid. We played football and we had a guy named Heinschmidt. I don't know, Heinschmidt was his name. And we would play, you know, you'd catch the football and then you'd just run until somebody tackled you and you have to give up the football. So he was a huge guy, but he used to hide behind a little tiny tree. And then he would jump out at you like you couldn't see him. So we started calling it the Heinschmidt sneak play. And that's what they were telling God. They were tell, God was saying, do the Heinschmidt sneak play. Sneak around them, around the tree, and get over here and come in from the other side. And by the way, I'll go before you and I'll do the fighting. See, when you go out ahead of God, you get to do the fighting. If you'll inquire of the Lord and he gives you directions and you act promptly, he'll do the fighting. Which is better for you? You prefer to do your own fighting? Well, go out ahead of the Lord. No reason to inquire of the Lord if you want to do your own battling. But if you'd like the Lord to intervene, you say, well, Jeff, that's easy. But how do you hear the voice of the Lord? I, it is. It is a challenging thing. And in our culture, in our time where we got TVs going, and, I, and I'm some of the guiltiest is I have to get time away and go into my office. I usually do it very early in the morning. I'm an early riser. I do it very early in the morning. And I get down on my knees and I pray and I do it on my bed, you know, early in the morning, late at night. Pray, Father, I, inquiring. We got so many issues here. And you will hear his voice. You will learn to discern the voice of the Lord. You will learn to discern the voice of the Lord. It takes time. It's not easy. It doesn't happen overnight. Well, I never heard the Lord talk. I hear that all that. Well, I never heard the Lord talk. How much time have you, how passionate are you about pursuing? How much time did David have out in the wilderness? Years. Nothing but quiet. See how quiet it is in here? Right? It's what he had for hour upon hour upon hour. Add a little bit of... <laughs> is that you, Lord? No, that's not the Lord. The Lord's not in the voice of the sheep. But he is a still, small voice. Some people, look, some people just go straight, you know, just, they want the answer now. And the Lord says, I just, want to, I just want you to hang out with me for a while. Inquire... And then wait for me to give you the directive. And don't run out. Otherwise, you may end up fighting your own battle. And isn't that what happens? I mean, we tend to get down and just do our pros and cons list. Do you have that tendency? Especially business people, right? We're in a valley full of very successful business people. Palm Springs, and this is where the successful people come a lot of times. And they were so good. It, even if the decision is wrong, make a decision. Just make a decision. Make a decision. And so what do you do? Well, let's get our, you know, SWOT analysis and do all of our stuff and get our pros and cons and all that kind of thing. And, well, here's all the pros and there's the cons. And then you inquire of the Lord and he says, we'll do that. Well, wait a minute. There's a lot of pros over here and very few cons. And over here, you got a bunch of cons, lots of cons. And very, do that. I want you to do that. Go around. Different. Heinschmidt sneak play this time. Really, Lord? All right. Now, let me tell you something. If you're new to this, walking with Jesus stuff, that's, it, it'll never be more imperative. It'll always be imperative. It'll never be more imperative than when you're a new follower of Jesus and you don't know the word yet because this is like the, this is the mesh that all this is built around, right, the word because God never goes against his own word. So if you, when you don't know the word yet, you still need a lot of word. And you need community, and you need some counsel and guidance and help along the way. All that's true. But once you've been walking with him a long time, and you know the word, and you know, then it really might, very much is about being led by the Spirit. Now, I'm not saying it's not being led by the Spirit from the moment you embrace Jesus, 
but it just takes some training and some equipping, and we'll get into that. That's what Paul tell, tells the, the Jewish believers in his letter to the Hebrews. He said, by now you ought to be teachers, but as it is, you still have need for milk. You can't even digest this meat that we're talking about. Your senses haven't been trained to discern good and evil. See, that's the big misnomer. Pete, now you wouldn't do that. Like this week they're playing the Tournament Players Championship, all right? That's the big, uh, that's the championship of the PGA Tour players. It's, a, it's not a major, but they call it kind of the fifth major. And you would never consider like, okay, I'm going to enter that field and I'm going to stand up on the 17th hole with that island green with crosswinds and all this kind of thing and go, now, what are, what's the difference between an iron and a wood? <laughs> and why do they call it a wood? Because I don't see any wood. It looks like a metal to me. And, I, and what are all these people doing around here? And where's the, what's a target? And I mean, that would just be silly. And yet, somehow in the spiritual realm, we feel like we can go to church once or something and just kind of, we're just kind of experts. You know what I mean? Well, my, what are you talking about? My grandmother was a, was a Bible-believing Christian. And, but we proceed as if we kind of know everything. And it's not until you, you get beat up along the way, until you go, wow, I should probably start spending some time in this, being around people that will impact my life. I'm very intentional about who I hang around with. All these kinds of things are very important. And you learn. And the, far, the longer I walk with the Lord, the less I realize that I know. <laughs> That's, when I first came, I was like, he's so lucky to have me, and I know so much, and I knew nothing. I said, I absolutely know everything. It was two by two in the ark. Was it two by two? I've read, I, that's, what I, that's about how much I knew. The story of the arky and the barky, you know, and a little bit other things and whatever was on those felt, felt things that they did in Sunday school a little bit. And I, I got this all figured out. And now I walk with him and I've been studying this thing for decades. It's all marked up. I've been preaching, you know, teaching six, seven hours a week for years and I just, and I go, Lord, I just feel like I know nothing here. And I inquire of the Lord. Do you do that? Is that part of your DNA? It should be. We know very well Romans 8, verse 14. You know it well. Let me say it to you again. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God. Now, these are the sons of God. Now, how are you going to be led by the Spirit of God when you never inquire of the Lord? When you just run. Here's what we do. We run head into something. And then we go, have you ever, it's called outrunning your, your defenses, right? So you're in battle and you charge and you run in and you're out there fighting and you say, well, I am just getting, we're getting waylaid. What is happening? I'm just getting hit from every direction. You turn around and all your people are back there and you were the only one who heard charge. I mean, have you ever had that? I mean, really, in, in, in so many different ways, we run so far ahead of God and go, God, why are you not blessing us? Why am I getting whacked around like this? And all of a sudden, it may occur to you at some point, a lot of people, by the way, a lot of people will leave their faith because they get out there and they go, see, God never showed up. And God is back here all the time going, I never told you to leave. I never told you to charge. See, a lot of times we're asking, wondering why the Lord will not bless us. Lord, how come you're not blessing me? I never told you to do that. I never asked you to do that. It's not in my will for you. I have plans for you. It's what we looked in Jeremiah. I have plans that you couldn't fathom for your life. But you have your own plans. You've run so far ahead of me that you assume that I'll bless what you're doing, but I'll bless you when you get in line with what I'm asking you to do. Can I just tell you, when the Lord's presence is... Now, I will tell you, as I've said before, you can get way off track, and the Lord is gracious and patient, but He will wait until you get back on the right track. He'll try to redirect you back to the right track. He'll do everything He can to get you back in the right track. But to walk in the fullness of God and what He has for you, to live a supernatural life, you need to be lockstep with Him. It's not that He won't ever show you if you're way off track and you charge ahead. Maybe he'll even protect you, but get you back. But the point is always that the Lord wants you walking in complicity. If most of your prayers are never answered, maybe you're not walking in complicity with what the Lord has for your life. Because that's where Jesus says, you know, ask whatever you will, and I'll give it to you. We looked at that a few weeks ago. But maybe what you're asking, he said no, and you never heard the no, and you just keep going and saying, well, Lord, you're not blessing this. 
So we got to know, are you confident right now that where you are in this stage in your life is where you're supposed to be? Let me ask you that. If you're confident, you're in a great place. You're going to see the Lord's hand over and over and over again. If you're not confident because you recognize, and let me tell you, this is a, this is a striking moment in many people's lives. I don't know that I've ever really inquired of the Lord. I've made so many decisions that I've never inquired of the Lord, and I'm assuming that, that God... And my life is kind of, it's not, an, it's not a supernatural exciting Christian life. It's kind of a mundane life. And kind of the only thing that keeps me in there is I go and, you know, I kind of believe. I'd rather believe than not believe. And I do have some belief. And I've kind of seen God show up a few times. And, and maybe I like going to church or reading my Bible, you know, once, or, once a month or something like that. Maybe. But I've never really had this passionate, I don't, have, I don't have the same thing I see some of my friends having. Where all they can talk about is Jesus. I mean, they're just so enamored with this person of Jesus, and I'm more of a religious person. If that's happening, maybe you've not really inquired of the Lord. He'll ask you to do some strange things, as we'll see later with David. It was, it's a bizarre. The next part of the story, you think that's weird. We haven't even got to the weird part yet. This gets weirder. So here's the key. Inquire of the Lord. Obey His voice. And then praying, knowing that God answers prayers that are, in, that are in complicity with his will. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, my kids are the, my kids are the same way. If they're, if they're doing something that's somewhat in complicity, as long as they're under my house. Now, once they get out from underneath my house, you know, and, and they're going to make their own decisions and they're going to have that. But right now, as long as they're doing things that are in tandem with Laura's in mind heart for their lives... You know, funds will be there, things will be there, support will be there. But if they're running in a totally different direction, I don't, I don't stop loving them. But if they're running in a completely different direction and running way off the rails, and I know it's, it's clear it's not good for their life, it's gonna, these are bad decisions that they're making, can I continue to, to, to bless and provide money that may, or and I'm, I'm using that as an example, money, support, encouragement, all those kinds of things, so that they can just go headlong into a bunch of nonsense? Well, that, well, you wouldn't even do that as a good parent. Why would God do that to you, support you in an area that you didn't inquire and it's not his will? So inquire the Lord, obey promptly, and then expect that he's going to answer the prayers along the way as you are play, praying in complicity with his path for you. And if you don't know and you've never really inquired of the Lord and you just kind of free-willed it, flown by the seat of your pants most of your life, now's a good time to start. Today, even before we finish, Lord, I am inquiring of, your, of you today. But let me tell you, that's a scary pray prayer, isn't it? Isn't that a, have you never prayed that? He's going to send me to work with the pygmies. People are always, I'm going to go with the pygmies. I, I, I'm I would love to meet some pygmies one day, quite frankly, because it's so, so many years. It's like, I don't want to be with the pygmies. I'd maybe have a great ministry among the pygmies. I don't know. <laughs> but that's the feeling. We don't really have confidence that God wants, that, has, that he has a, an unbelievable plan for us. So I'm not going to have a chance to get all the way through this, but this next part just gets weirder. And it's going to be, it's going to entice you to come back next week. Because we're not going to be able to get all the way through it. But it's such a weird, weird story. 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now, again, what we're seeing is a seesaw battle in David's life. And the reality is, is it should be. It doesn't have to be, by the way. And this is, by the way, can I just make this disclaimer? Just because we see David being a man after God's own heart and doing all these things and yet sinning dramatically, don't think, well, okay, this kind of confirms, well, nobody's perfect, and you don't, no, Jesus was very clear, you, you try to be perfect just like your heavenly Father is perfect. Our intent and goal is to be perfect like God is perfect. We'll never fully arrive, but to be motivated to be like God in his righteousness, that has to be the top priority. If you sin along the way, but if you have a settled disposition like we talked about last week, you just kind of sneak down and slink down and just go, okay, well, this is just who I am. Well, don't, that's, that's a cop-out in the kingdom. And so that's not what I'm supporting when we talk about David and his ups and downs. 
But it is helpful to look back and go, God is merciful. He's driven by grace. He was doing the saving all along. That's very helpful for me. So 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now, this is just a weird, weird story. So you ready? Now, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000 people. For what purpose now, David? Well, he arose and went with all the people who were with him to Baali, Judah. Baali, Judah. To bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name. The very name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned above the cherubim. And they placed the ark of God on a new cart, that they might bring it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart. All right. So they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Ahio was walking ahead with the ark. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating. Man, this is unbelievable. Before the Lord with all kinds of instruments and made of uh, fir wood and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of God burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down. For his irreverence in the NASB. He died there. Right by the ark. And David became really angry. Because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. And the place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. So David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said how can the ark of the Lord come to me? And David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. With him, but David took it aside to the house of Obed Edom the Gittite. Thus the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed Edom the Gittite for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed Edom and all of his household. What kind of God do we serve? I mean, get the picture here. Da- okay, David's now unified Israel. What do we need? We got everything. I've got this. He had a house. Man, did he have a house. He'd worked hard on his house. The king of Tyre, uh, Hiram, came and they brought all this cedar wood and everything. He had this beautiful house. And he goes, wait a minute. We don't even have a house for our God. I'm more concerned about my... And I think that struck him with great weightiness. He said, well, we don't have the Ark of the Covenant. And you've got to realize, what does the Ark of the Covenant represent? The Ark of the Covenant represented the very presence of God himself. Now, did God live in a box? No. But it was a representation of God's presence. You know how much an ark weighed? Over 500 pounds. The top, the mercy seat lid alone, solid gold, 100 pounds. Uh, it was to be made of acacia wood, and it was surrounded by gold. And then on the inside, what did they carry? Well, they carried the manna that they had had from the wilderness. They carried Aaron's rod that had budded which is a whole other story that we'll get into next week. And they carried the Ten Commandments, or the moral law, the covenant that came down from up above. And uh, when Moses was on the, on the mountain, and God had given him that. And that was all inside the Ark of the Covenant. Now, God had instructed them that there was a very uh, arduous thing in the wilderness. They had to go to, to the brazen altar. They had to go all these different things and finally get to the holy place and only the priests. And then eventually, once a year, the Holy of Holies inside the Holy of Holies, and there was the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? Now, again, and sadly, in our world today, the only way we really know that is through Indiana Jones. And, you know, pursuit of the Ark. No, that's right. I mean, that's you know, the Ark, you know, and it's just this kind of mystical thing, and everybody's see, search, searching for the Ark, and, and we, still don't know where it, we still don't know where it is. But you've got to realize there had been a history with the Ark. The Ark had gone through, a, a, because of some disobedience. See, Saul had never really cared about the Ark. Now, that's also a very interesting thing about the notion is if you've been through this, through this study, Saul's dead at this point in the narrative, but Saul had never seemed to really deeply care passionately about God's presence. He was into religion, but he wasn't into God's presence. God, I, w- I pray right now, God, that you will just take me out if Church at the Red Door becomes a religious shell without a deep-hearted pursuit of your presence among your people. 
Man, I want this place to, I want people to come in and I want the hair to raise up on the back of their arms because they walk in this place and they go, something's here and it's in the people. It's not because this is a special place, particularly physical space, but he's so manifest in his people because they're becoming like Jesus that they come in here and they go, something's different. There's a vibe here. I don't know what it is, but I've got to have more of it. I've got to have that. If it just comes in, oh, you know, it's just, you know, it's just, you know, dead religion, please just take me out, Lord. I don't want to be here. So if I'm not here next week, you'll know. Just <laughs> abandon the ship, pay off UCR, we're out of here, you know, just get out of here. Go. But you get the point? Saul never cared about it. it. The Philistines had had this ark for a long time. And in fact, they had taken it in and put it next to one of their gods, Dagon, this god of theirs. And they came in the next morning and their god's statue was face down and broken because of the ark. They had moved the ark to another place and some of the Israelites had peeked on the inside. A bunch of them died. You don't know what you're dealing with. So first of all, you have to understand this gives us great insight and moves us away from the cavalier way of talking about God, which is, well, you know, the man upstairs. And, and that typically is the way. When you're trying to share Christ in a culture like ours, it's usually a little joke about, well, maybe we need to pray. Like maybe you do it on the golf course. Well, maybe we just need to pray because, uh, because my backswing's been a little short lately. Maybe he'll give me a little longer backswing. Stuff like that. That's treating God in a cavalier way. God is the creator. Spoke everything to into existence out of nothing and you're going to treat him as a puppet servant that might help you hit the ball five yards longer? Now, you say, that's kind of harsh, but it is. We do that, and I did that for years. You know, the man upstairs, the guy, you know, the great-grandfather in the sky, the kind of the picture not reverencing God for who he actually is and understanding. Exodus said that no man can see the face of God and live. Moses, when he was up on the mountain, said, don't let them come even near the mountain. If they even touch the mountain, they'll die instantly. Why? God's just trying to say, you have no idea who you're dealing with. Let me say that again. Do you treat religion? I kind of, well, throw a little, throw a few scraps to the God, you know, the great God. And we use words like this. And again, because I come out of a golf culture, I use these, the golf gods and the this gods and, the, and everything. And it, we just... We say that without necessarily thinking about it, but that in and of itself is a problem because the creator of the universe is overwhelmingly powerful. He is love, but he is so holy. And that means what? We've learned other than Lee. He is so unlike anything you even consider or know. Take the strongest volcanic earthquake induced Niagara Falls, put them all together, these extraordinary events that we think are extraordinary, and that's like a small sneeze for the creator of the universe. That's nothing. We're overwhelmed by that kind of power, but somehow then we categorize God as just being, ah, the man upstairs. So first of all, understood, understand what the ark was. It was about two feet high, it was about two feet wide, and it was about four feet long. They did it in cubits, was from here to here. So I guess that depends from your longest finger to your elbow. And so it was, we'll call it roughly that, about two by two by four. And here was the Ark of the Covenant. The Philistines had had it. And then this Abinadab had had it for quite a long period of time, about 20 years. And David all of a sudden goes, here I am in my house, and I am not that concerned about the presence of the Lord. We need the presence of God. Let's go get it. And so he made this big spectacle, and he should have 30,000 people. Let's get all the people. Let's go to Benadab's house, and let's take the ark from his house in Kiriath-Jerim. Let's, let's take it from there, and let's move it into the new headquarters. Obed-Edom is being blessed. I want to be blessed. It's going to be good. So they start playing the music and everything's going. And, it, and you know, back then probably weren't these greater roads. And they, so they just grabbed and put it on. And they started carting this thing down. And then the ark begins to tip. The cart's tipping the ark, the ark of the covenant. And what, is God going to fall out? Or what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. And the ark begins to tip. And sweet old Uzzah, all he did was just reach out and kind of steady it, dead. 
Now tell me that's not a weird story. So what is it? There's, there's, there's so many lessons to be learned. But I do want to say this. This strikes me. David was so angry because of the Lord's outburst. Now, one of the things you can say, well, David now is being irreverent. David was angry. Us was just trying to help. David was angry. David should be struck down. But that's not the case. David was so passionate. He's like, Lord, how, how in the world can you allow this to happen? Can I just tell you, that's a beautiful way to pray. If you think all your prayers need to be shrouded in the Lord's Prayer, just quotations, you know, things like that. Have you ever gotten in and say, I do not understand this. Lord, I cannot understand what your ways are. This doesn't make any sense. How come you're not healing me? How come you allow my kids not to know you? I've been praying about this for 10 years. And you say, well, oh, I can't be irreverent like that. Can I tell you, I think the Lord loves that kind of prayer. It shows your passion. It shows faith. It shows a desire to engage with him and to speak with him. It reminds me of, a, of the movie, The Apostle. Did you any of you see the movie, The Apostle? It was with Robert Duvall. And he, ta- he was just like David. He was a mess. He killed a man. He had had a, an affair or two. He was a preacher. You say, well, oh, that Hollywood. And it's, actually, it's actually really kind of looks like David's life. It almost looks like a picture. Let's watch this clip. Hashtag my wife, they stole my church. That's a temple I built for you. And I'm gonna yell at you because I'm mad at you. I can't take it. Give me a sign or something. Blow this pain out of me. Give it to me tonight, Lord God, Jehovah. If you won't give me back my wife, give me peace. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me, give me peace. Give me peace. I don't know who's been fooling with me. You are the devil. I don't know. And I won't even bring the human into this. He's just a mutt, so I'm not even going to bring him into it. But I'm confused. I'm mad. I love you, Lord. I love you. But I'm mad at you. I am mad at you. So deliver me tonight, Lord. What should I do? Now tell me. Should I lay hands on myself? What should I do? I know I'm a sinner and I once in a while, woman, but I'm your servant. Since I was a little boy, you brought me back from the dead. I'm your servant. What should I do? Tell me. I've always called you Jesus. You always called me Sonny. What should I do, Jesus? This is Sonny talking now. that he's, I tell you, ever since he was a little bitty boy, sometimes talks to the Lord, and sometimes he yells at the Lord, and tonight he just happens to be yelling at him. I love that. I love, I love that scene. <laughs> Jeff, are you teaching us to be irreverent or are you teaching us to yell at God, be angry at God? I'm telling you to talk to God and tell God your feelings like he doesn't know. Do you think he, he doesn't know? Are you, you, you think God doesn't know the very thoughts that you have before you have them? He wants you to engage relationally. If you try to sterilize your little relationship with God and keep it all in a nice little package where it's never and then bad thing. I have people tell me all the time, you know, I never ask God for anything. I really don't. I just feel like he's too busy. That's not the way God wants a relationship to be. He wants you engaged. He wants you to be passionate. He wants you to worship him. The majority of your life should be worship. We should be people of worship. The majority of your life should be sent in, in, spent in absolute, just enraptured by his presence. And then out of that, out of that relationship and that connection, 
flow, beautiful ministry. People will come to smell this pleasant aroma that you're giving off and they'll want to have what you have and all that's beautiful, but there will also be times where you will pray and the, the heavens will be silent. Tragic things will happen and you'll have no explanation. Zero. You'll have no explanation and you may never get one in this life. But you know what you can do? You can be just like Sonny. You can see, you walk around, and, 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 and I do. And I've tried to have these conversations with God. Lord, I don't understand. There's people I have prayed for for 25, 30 years, and it feels like there's nothing going on. Lord, how can you allow this? I know you put these people in my life. Why, 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 do, why are they not? Why can they not see you? You know, Lord, and I'll have these conversations. It deepens my walk with the creator of the universe. Of course you should be... There's it's this balance of, it is so challenging because there's reverence and there's love and there's, but conversation and aggressive conversation and then, but it, all, it must always end this way, nevertheless. And then get down on your knees, not my will, but your will be done. Look, God, God's not obligated to explain everything to us. He is not obligated to explain everything to us. But he is obligated on his own word to engage those who engage him. Jesus said it. If you seek me, you will find me. And sometimes you've got to seek and seek and seek and be willing to say at the end, have your sunny moment. But at the end say, and yet I'm dust. I came from dust. I'll return to dust. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then go on. But don't overlook the concept. Don't overlook the relationship, the conversation. It's so beautiful. And that's this week where we're going to have to leave David there this week. But, but we are going to get into this next week. There, there is deep, deep reason. And there's some stuff that will blow your mind next week. I'm just telling you right now, it's going to be so exciting to see the story behind the story. Because there is a deep and powerful story behind what appears to be just a weird story about a, a God who just kind of flies off the handle. And, and, you know, some of you may, before we close, some of you may even be thinking, you know, that this God kind of sounds like the God I always thought. Kind of like my own dad or my own mom. Maybe they were alcoholics, never knew where they were going to come from. When they, they might come home from work one day and just pat you on the back of the head and say, you know, hope you had a great day and, and we love you. And that might be. And then the next day you might, same thing, nothing different, came home from school, came home, and it might have, they might have backhanded you across the room. One day you're the favored child and the next day you're Uzzah, being struck dead for just trying to help. Is that the kind of God we're dealing with? You need to tune in next week because there is a story behind the story and it is a very powerful story in helping us know how we relate to such an unrelatable creative force called the creator of the universe. We need these stories. Look, this is not just history. This is now very, very important for my walk, my walk every day. So I know we played this as we close with this last worship song. I know we played this a couple weeks ago. It's, I think it's a powerful, powerful uh, video that we're going to close with, a worship video. And it's a forgive us our Father. You know, Father, forgive us. This is a moment now, a contemplative moment for everybody here as, we, as this song rolls. Maybe, you need, maybe you're in a place right now where you say, Father, forgive us, forgive me for not inquiring of you about, and then you fill in the blank, whatever the, whatever the work the Holy Spirit is doing in you. Have you made decisions? Have you made big, why-in-the-road decisions, and you really didn't inquire of the Lord? Now's the time to say, Father, would you forgive us and get, uh, get me right back on the right track with you? Lord, I have wasted 20 years because I didn't inquire of you, and... and Man, I may have grown some, but I feel like I could have been expedited. Man, I feel like I could have really just exploded in my walk with you, and it's been a slow, arduous, you know, one step forward, three steps back, one step forward, four steps back kind of life, and it just doesn't reflect 
the kind of glory that I think is available to me if I were to walk in your plans. Lord, I want to start inquiring of you everything, not just make my own plans. I'm tired of making my own plans, fighting my own battles, doing my own thing. Even if I've been successful, I'm going to inquire of you. So this is a moment, this song, just, Father, forgive us, and then I'll close this in prayer.